Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would uh, be in the message this morning. I pray that you would uh, speak through me. It would be your words and not mine. That, that you would just stir our hearts, encourage us, and strengthen us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we talked about things Jesus never said, and Jesus never said you're not going to have bad days, right? And we looked at um, the lady who was on... America's Got Talent, is that what it was, <laughs> right? And uh, so her her music name is Nightbird, and she's been battling cancer on and off, and she said a couple of things that we really held on to, and, the, and one of them was that you, you can't wait until life's not hard to be happy, right? And there's this sense that, that Jesus, he didn't die to make our problems go away, he died to make our sin go away, and there's this rejoicing and joy that comes in that. But this week, I kind of want to focus on the end of that saying, because Happy can be a word that is confusing, misapplied, can even bring unhappiness if not looked at correctly. And so, so when we talk, we talk about Jesus didn't, didn't say you're not going to have bad days. He also didn't say that you should just do whatever makes you happy. And I think that a lot of times we live in a culture that's pretty relative, right? Pretty relative that says if it makes you happy, it's not hurting anybody else, go ahead and do it. And, and, and honestly, Jesus, I think rightly, has this um, reputation in some circles of being loving and love coming first. And, and then there's this sense of Jesus loves us, so, you know, he's not going to smite you for doing something maybe a little wrong if it doesn't hurt, as long as it's making you happy and not hurting anybody else. But, but the truth is, Jesus never said that. He never said, go and you do you. Go and treat yourself. He didn't say, go and do whatever makes you happy. Like, Jesus had some challenging words at times, challenging us to be holy, to be perfect. And so what I kind of want to dive into today, today is just looking at, at the fact that Jesus never said, go do what makes you happy. And, that, and I think that we can look at a story in John 8 that's going to kind of unpack that. But what I really ultimately want to do today is I want us to, to leave with maybe a strategy that's going to help us fight temptation in our own lives. Because you guys may not have any of these struggles. But for me, there have literally been times in my life where I just felt like sin had a stronghold. 
and there was no way to escape it. And I would beat myself up and I'd get frustrated. And there's this sense of just needing a way to fight it. And, and what I hope to, to, to give us today is, is maybe just one way of dealing with that temptation. And it's, it's, it's all in our mind, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so we're going to get there. But before we get there, I kind of want to look at a story in John chapter 8. And, and if you've been in the church, you've probably heard this story. It's where uh, the, some Pharisees go, and they catch a woman in adultery, and they bring her to Jesus in, in order to trap Jesus, right? They want to trap Jesus because he's got this reputation of being loving, but he's also claimed to be righteous and to follow the law. And so there's this sense of this woman who's caught in adultery. And so these, these Pharisees throw her at Jesus' feet and they're like, look, if you're, you know, holy, then you're going to obey the law, which says she be, should be stoned. But if you're loving, you won't stone her. So there's this hope to be able to trap and accuse Jesus. And Jesus has the response of, you guys know the story. He gets down and he writes in the sand, right? And he says, he who is without sin be the first to cast the stone. And, and there's this, as the story unfolds, we get to the end of the story. And there's the woman standing there, just her and Jesus. And what does he say? Things Jesus never said. He doesn't say, all right, now get out of here and do what makes you happy. He said, go and sin no more. He called her to holiness. Now, before we really kind of dive in and unpack that, that passage, I want to first kind of, if you, if you have your Bibles and you're reading along, you might see this, but if not, I have my Bible here that you can see. You'll see that this passage has is, is got kind of, it's been separated in the Bible. And most of, of modern day translations will do this. There's kind of lines saying that this, this passage is different than the rest. And, and honestly, I, I very rarely preach from this passage because there's so much, uh, I guess, turmoil in, in the church world. But for a long time, I struggled with this and I never heard a pastor or anybody address it. And so uh, before we kind of get into it, I want to address it right now. And what's happened here is our oldest and most reliable manuscripts of the New Testament don't actually include these verses. And so there's people who are a lot smarter than me who have dedicated their lives to arguing both sides of this story, okay? So like, I don't want to, to push you one way or the other. I encourage you to go and do your own research. But, but there's a strong feeling in the academic world and biblical scholarship and New Testament scholarship that these verses don't actually belong in the Bible. So what's kind of happened is, is when the, the, they were putting together these uh, translations, putting together the modern day versions of the Bible, they looked at manuscripts. And there are so many manuscripts. The Bible was spread so much that they have all this reliable evidence to, to give us today's scripture. And in that process, there are an un, unbelievable amount of manuscripts that actually do include this passage. So they included it in scripture. But as time moved on, we found older, more reliable versions. And so there's the sense of, was this taken out of the older versions? Because it kind of shows a, a woman who can get away with adultery. So there's a point where it says, hey, you know what? These people, they took it out of the Bible and then it was put back in. Or is it that later on this story realized that it kind of fit in this narrative of John and so it was placed in later manuscripts? And the truth is we don't really know. 
And so it's included in our Bibles. It's usually set apart, set to the side. And so it's hard to kind of preach with the same authority that all other scripture has because there's this kind of tension about is it real or is it, not, is it not? And so the truth is, based on what I've studied and learned, I believe that the, the story is a true story. It really happened. And Jesus' followers told this story. They eventually wrote this story down. And then either in the either it was included in the original one or it wasn't. But because it was a true story, they put it in and it's included in our Bible. That said, one of the reasons why I'm okay preaching from it is because very clearly the truth that is brought forth in this passage is supported all throughout Scripture. And so one of the just a couple of things where he says, go and sin no more. You can actually go back to John chapter 5, I think it's verse 14 or 15, and Jesus heals a man and he says, go and basically the same thing, don't don't sin anymore, go and leave your life of sin, right? He says almost the same thing. You can go forward to Romans, and Paul is writing in Romans, in Romans 8, 1, he says, now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So this woman has not been condemned because Christ has forgiven her. It shows the authority of Jesus, where Jesus has the the power to forgive sins. That that, that there doesn't have to be punishment for this lady. She doesn't have to be stoned. This woman doesn't have to be stoned because Jesus is saying, I'm going to eventually take this punishment, right? So there's this sense of all throughout Scripture, you see that this text is supported. So do your own research wrestle with it. If there's tension in your heart, that is okay. It's okay to to wrestle with scripture and to come across verses that don't sit well or or don't know what's happening. Do your own research, but, but here's the deal. This story points to truth. And whether it belongs in this part of John or whether it doesn't, I think we can learn from this text. And so I'm going to read it and we're going to unpack it, but ultimately we're going to look at, at kind of how we fight this temptation. So So we see at dawn, he, meaning Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Or they were accusing, or they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now I want to stop there for a second and, and kind of realize the complicatedness that goes with this story. And one of the reasons I actually really love this story, why I find it really compelling, is because we don't know the background for this woman. Like, let's be honest, it kind of can be at the end of two spectrums or somewhere in between. She could be like a promiscuous woman who sleeps around, who makes it her goal to go and tear apart families, and she's making power grabs by seducing men and therefore breaking apart marriages. That could be her, but it could also be maybe a, a woman whose husband has died. And in this culture, she has no way to support herself or her kids And in an effort to have a more comfortable life, she's maybe compromised her morals just this one time. And either way you look at it, she's fallen into sin. And then 
And then when she's caught there, these Pharisees do everything they can to shame her. Imagine the shame of being held up in front of everybody. And guess what? There were two parties involved in that adultery. But it's only the woman that's brought forth and the shame that's cast upon her. And that's, that's what sin does to us. Like when you are, are in sin, it brings shame. Whether you're caught or not, you know if you've ever wrestled with this temptation, you've wrestled with sin, that it just brings shame upon shame. And in that moment, Jesus reaches down in the sand and he begins to write in the sand and, and, and as he's writing down we don't know what he's writing but and I've heard different speculations and I'm not going to go there but there is this interesting part that when he says right there is a Greek word for right called graphin like graphite right and there's also a Greek word but that's not the Greek word that's used here the Greek word that's used here is katagraphin, and kata means against. So whatever Jesus is writing down, he's writing down against. There's the sense of it's, it's directed against the Pharisees, right? So whatever he's writing it down, whether it's their names or maybe some sins that they've committed, or maybe it's other walls that kind of contradict them, or maybe whatever it is, whatever Jesus is writing down, we know it's against the Pharisees. In verse 7, it says, when they kept questioning him, He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. In that moment where she had all of the shame, there came a point where it was just her and Jesus. He straightened up and he asked her, he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. He tells her, no matter what has brought you to this situation, no matter how you've sinned, no matter what difficulty you've been through, no matter what excuse maybe you've come up with to sin, now leave your life of sin. That is the way forward. And that is the way forward. And so there's this sense of what I kind of want to talk about, this happiness for a minute. Because if we think about, like, just uh, go there. Go to to the last time maybe you fell into that sin or a sin or something you've given into. What is going on in your mind before you get there? Right? There's this sense of by giving into that, you have a positive light. Like there's this positive temptation that if I do this, it's going to satisfy this. If I get angry, it's going to satisfy this. If I take this, I'm gonna, it's going to satisfy this. If I buy this, it's going to, whatever it is, we have all these different excuses, but the way we are viewing that sin is in a happiness light. We think if I do this, it will make me happy. See, every temptation is a pool to meet a legitimate need or desire in an illegitimate way. God created us to be a part of community. He created our hearts and our souls to desire different things, to desire him, to desire to be in community with people, to have to, to seek joy. Hey, God created life with all of these enjoyments around us, but there's so often that we have these desires and these needs, and every time there's a temptation, it's a pull to fill those legitimate needs and desires in an illegitimate way. That's this temptation. That's this desire. That's this desire to sin. But, but the desire is not necessarily sin. Temptation is not sin. If, if you uh, go to James uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, it says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So each person is tempted when they're dragged away by that evil desire, by that evil enticement, by that pull to fill that need in an illegitimate way. And then it says in verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So that desire, that original temptation, that, that enticement is not yet sin. There's a chance there to not sin. There's a chance there to take that captive. But once, you, once that desire has been acted on, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So the first part here, God doesn't tempt, right? Which can be kind of confusing, even if you think about like the Lord's Prayer, like, Lord, lead me not in temptation. Why would we pray that if God doesn't tempt? And, the, and that's getting to kind of the heart of the person praying, right? Like, it's not saying that God's going to tempt us. God doesn't tempt us. But we're asking that God would lead us away from temptation. Says this having this heart, this desire to be towards God and not towards sin, right? And we even see that, that the leading into temptation is something that God does. I can't explain why. I don't know why, but we even see it with Jesus. It says the Spirit led Jesus into the desert in Matthew chapter 4. It led Jesus into that moment where he would be tempted. So, so God doesn't tempt. He may lead us into temptation, but we're at pray. we pray that he doesn't because our heart is it's the heart of someone who doesn't want to face temptation. We're so in love with God that our heart doesn't even want to see the alternative. But ultimately, you and I are going to face temptation. We live in a fallen world. It's all around us. And we have this hungry heart that lives in this world that, that is, is longing to be satisfied. And there's all these things around us that, that we think will make us happy, that we think will satisfy, but will ultimately kill us. And that's why we have to unpack this word, what it means to be happy. Because it's not just about satisfying the, the desire we have right now, but it's looking at who God wants us to be and looking at who God is and letting that draw us forward. There's this sense of false life when we think about temptation. We look at something and we think, it will bring life if I give in to it. Think about um, if you say there's something you want to go your way, and ultimately it doesn't go your way, and so your response is to blow up and get angry because there's the sense of if I blow up and I use my anger and I use my power, that I'll be able to change this situation and actually get what I want. So there's this thought process that says, maybe if I do this, if I fall into this sin, I'll get what I want. But truth be told, as someone, if you live a life of being angry and always losing your temper, there's no doubt you have broken relationships. There's no doubt you've faced hardships because of your temper. So there's this sense of, of even though we think it will bring life, even though there's this temptation that entices us, that ultimately it doesn't bring life, it ends up bringing death. The enticement is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. But if we don't, if we get to this place where we let our guard down, we end up acting on that temptation, which brings sin, and sin full, fully grown brings death. And I want to, the reason I want to bring up that the temptation is not sin, because we can get to that moment where we think, man, here I go again. I'm being drawn to this temptation again. Oh, and we get to that moment where we, say, we start to look inward. And we say, man, I'm being tempted again. And we beat ourselves up. We let our guard down. We throw in the towel. And ultimately, we end up sinning because we let our guard down because we think the temptation is bad. Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we have been, yet he is without sin. 
So we, it, Jesus is without sin, but yet he was tempted. We know that, that if we are tempted, we don't need to give up. We don't need to throw in the towel. That is the time, that is the chance to, to raise our guard, to lean on Christ, to go into prayer. Let that temptation not be a desire to give up, but a desire to lean into Christ. But when we don't lean into Christ, and when we don't resist, we actually yield to it. That's when we see the conception of sin. And when sin is conceived, there's this, there's this time of it like growing, right? There's this growing phase where we see once it's full grown, it leads to, it leads to death. And there's a sense of when it's, it's full grown, or while it's growing, we can see the destruction begin to happen around us because death is in the DNA of sin. And it's pretty interesting. There's a sense of like, if I sin, there's death because God's going to smite me. But the truth is, death is, is it's almost built into sin. The consequence is not God saying, you've done bad, now I'm going to punish you. It's like the punishment is built into the sin. As we give into it, as we give into it, as we yield, it begins to happen around us. It's not God punishing us for being bad. It's the sin and giving into the desire that begins to kill us. And so here's, here's the strategy that I'm talking about. Because the strategy is, is in order to know and recognize that this enticement is false life, we have to be able to, to know that it's a lie. And the only way to know that something is a lie is to know the truth. And so there's this sense of inside of our mind, there becomes this battle, whether it's truth or not truth. And we need to know truth. So one of the ways you know truth is by studying scripture and being along with God and, and pursuing him. But more than that, I want to, so, so I want to encourage you to, to be in the word, to be in community, because that's a sense of knowing truth. But, but for right now, I'm going to assume that we know truth. Like we know that I shouldn't give into the sin, that it is bad. But then there's this sense of how do we make the right decision? Because if you've ever been in this struggle, if you've ever given in to sin where you've had this battle in your mind, it's almost like you have the, the, the angel and the devil on your shoulder, right? How do we, how do we give in to the angel and resist the devil? That's kind of what I'm, what I'm talking about here. And so I want to go from out in the last scripture, I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, it says this. The weapons we fight, weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So the, 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 the power, the weapons that we fight with demolish strongholds. We talked about that earlier, and I, I felt like there was, like I felt this moment in the room when I said, have you ever been in a place where there's been a stronghold in your life, and the Holy Spirit just like, like we all know what that's like, where there's this temptation that we can't defeat. And yet we sit here and we read this, this passage from Paul and it says that the, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish that stronghold so that sin doesn't have power over us because we fight with, with divine power. And, ha- and how do we do that? Verse 5, it says, We demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. One of the things that I find so liberating about this passage is it kind of renews in me this thought that it is a battle of the mind. It says that, that the battle that we fight, it, it says we demolish arguments and every pretension. If you take these words and you can, they're translated in a bunch of different ways through all these different translations. But if you go back to like the original text, there's this sense of, of this 
thought process that's happening, a thought process where we can set up images. There's this thought process where we set up arguments. And if you've ever been in an argument with your spouse, maybe it's not you guys, but it's me, okay? I've gotten in an argument with my spouse before, and, like, there's a sense of, like, we kind of have to take a break. Maybe I'll go to, like, my room, or I'll go for a drive, or I'll take a shower, or something like that. And the whole time that we're separated, I am having that argument in my mind, (laughs) Anybody been there? And in that, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is what she's going to say, and this is the point she's going to make. And when she makes that point, I'm going to make this point, and we're going to have. I, and listen, I win that argument 100% of the time, right? Anybody else? Like, <laughs> like you're having this this discussion in your brain, and you you can see it, you can formulate the images, you can see the argument happening. And in that moment, and that's kind of what Paul is getting at. There's this sense of it's a battle in the mind. And when we think about sin, we think about if I act on it right now, there's this happiness that's going to happen. But if we take those thoughts captive, we keep reading, we take those thoughts captive, it says that we can, and we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So there's this, this argument, this thought process that he's talking about. And what's, what's so amazing about this is that we can sit here and in that battle of our mind, we can be aware of the temptation before the sin ever happens. And we can take that thought captive and we can say, you know what, I'm formulating this argument. I'm formulating this thought process. And we can bring it to God and we can fight it with divine power and change the direction of that conversation. So now the temptation is no longer the focus of our mind, but we deliver it to Christ and Christ becomes the focus of our mind. We, we defeat, we never get to, the, to acting on the temptation because we take that thought captive. In that moment, we, the Holy Spirit makes us aware of the battle that's going on. But what I really want to focus on right here is, is for you to realize that you cannot do this on your own. For, for so long, I've battled and battled and battled a temptation. And I battled it and battled it and my my thought process was, I'm going to take this captive. I'm going to defeat it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Pump myself up. Get excited. Get motivated. I've got the strength. And then I would fall and I'd be so confused. It's like, it's in my mind. I'm taking it captive, but I can do it. But what I want you to know is you can't do it on your own. This taking it captive, making it obedient to Christ, it is a, it requires the power of God. There must be prayer. There must be prayer. There has to be a presence and a power of God when you are having this battle with your mind. And you don't have to do it alone. You can go to a, a part of the community that you, you trust. You can go to an accountability partner. You can go to your spouse. You can go to somebody and realize that you're not in it alone and have them praying with you. What I want to get at is that there is a real power when we realize that the temptation is a battle of the mind and we take those thoughts captive and we deliver them to Christ. There is a real power involved in that. There's a, there's a testimony, and I tried and tried to find it. I can't. It was when I was in college, I came across it, and I don't remember if it was in a conversation or if it was another uh, pastor like giving an illustration, and I couldn't find it. But there, I heard a testimony when I was in college about a young man who was battling porn and he couldn't break it. His, he'd been married for about a year and his marriage was falling apart. And in that, in that moment, he, it was from a pastor because he goes to a pastor and he's talking to this pastor and the pastor begins to kind of help him navigate and walk through this. And they talk about it being a battle of the mind. 
and delivering it to the Holy Spirit and realizing that like, if you go back and you think about and you focus on what you're thinking before you commit the sin, he realizes that he was looking at it in this positive light. And they come up with a long list of all these things that are negative about, about giving into that temptation. It tears apart his marriage. It uh, supports human trafficking. It, it, it is uh, demeaning to all these women. There's a long list of all these negative things. And so he begins to look at what he is viewing in a positive light in the deep moments of enticement. And he comes up with a list of why it is not positive. It is a lie and it is a battle of his mind. And he begins to look at it with the truth. And in that moment, he's got this list formulated, but he decides that, that it's not going to be him that makes this decision, that he delivers it to God. And in that moment, he dives into prayer and they're praying and they ask the Holy Spirit that would give him the power, give him the power to fight this temptation, to see it for what it was. And then he gives his testimony. He says the next time that he got to the, the moment where that temptation was there before him, he was actually able to look down and see what he called demon bugs, like roaches, come crawling out from the women that were around him and begin destroying that woman. <laughs> and he realized that in the moment when I view this, that's what I'm doing. And from that moment on, he looked at pornography with a repulsiveness because he saw it for the truth that it was. Now, your battle may not be pornography. Your battle could be losing your temper. Your battle could be overspending. Your battle could be laziness, overeating, whatever it may be. We all have these temptations that can be strongholds in our life. And my prayer is that you think about the scripture of taking the thought captive and realizing it's a battle in your mind. And in that moment when that enticement raises up, in that moment where that temptation begins to show itself, you would realize that it's not you falling short if that, that temptation temptation is God there by your side saying you can do this and in that moment you look at that temptation you'll see like Corinthians tells us that there is always a way out and you will fall into prayer and you will ask that the Holy Spirit would give you the eyes of God that you would see and know the truth in that moment there's this uh, a story that I want and I want to close with this illustration by Louis Giglio Giglio and he talks about uh, a, a fish that's been washed up on shore, right? And the fish is sitting there on the on the ocean or on the, the beach and it's flopping around and these people start coming around and they're like, this this fish is in distress. This fish needs some help. And so they, they start to give it all the things that, that help them, right? Maybe they give it some alcohol. Or maybe they give it some money. Or I know it just needs some new clothes. Or they wrap it in a, in a towel to try to keep it warm. And they start doing all these, these vices that we have that, to try to bring it happiness. But we all know that that's a silly story because what that fish really needs to be is back where it belongs. In these moments of, of looking at what makes you happy right now, it could be this temptation to give in to whatever that vice is. But what you really need is to be back in the presence of your heavenly father, back in that desire. That's where our hearts need to be. Fighting temptation is not about being stronger. It's about surrendering to the Lord and delivering those thoughts captive to him. And the beautiful part about this is, and I now learned this, and I lecture, it was, it was kind of a, a weird Sunday we had back at, at Life Journey in South Carolina because it wasn't really a message, but we had a guy come in who was an a expert in drug counseling and things like that. And he talked about how powerful the mind is. And he talked about people who get addicted to drugs. A lot of times it's this sense of it starts out as maybe an escape or even as like an adventure because it's fun. 
but because it's so addictive, they want it more and it's changing their brain the whole time they're on the drugs to eventually their family gets so mad at them because they're ruining their life. They're ruining these relationships. And they're like, why don't you just quit? But the truth is that, that those drugs have changed the wiring of their brain. And now they do the drugs not for a high. They do the drugs not to escape. They do the drugs just to feel normal. The way it's rewired their brain, it's, it's, they, they just want to feel normal. And I think there's been times in all of our lives where we just want to be over whatever it is we're facing, right? But there's this sense that in that moment, in that, or when they take that drug, it makes them feel normal. But the beautiful part of the way God has designed us is our brain literally has the power to heal itself by getting clean, by letting go of the drugs, by letting go of whatever the addiction may be, or the, the things that fire off in our brain that make us feel normal begin to heal themselves, begin to fire the right way again. So, so often this temptation, this vice that we give into over and over and over again by, by realizing it's a battle of the mind, surrendering it to God, surrounding, and there's a lot of different things you have to do. Just having a battle on your mind is, is, is not going to be the fix-all, right? But this is kind of where it's starts and realizing that there's this battle in our mind and when we surrender that moment to God we begin to see the way he sees we begin to give up that addiction or that vice or that temptation that was always coming in that our brain actually fixes itself to the point where we no longer even desire it and we can look at these things where our mind is able to heal naturally because of the way God created it so I want to come to you this morning and first off, let you realize that just because you think it's going to make you happy doesn't mean it's going to. In the long run, if we do things that just make us feel good right now, they actually lead to destruction. And if you're in a place where you know that already because you've given in and you've given in and you've given in and you're tired of giving in, what we have to do is realize that we have to fight temptation at the moment of enticement by having it be a battle of the mind and surrendering it to the divine power of the God we serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not leave us fighting alone. I pray that we can surrender whatever it is you're calling and asking us to surrender. And I ask that you would move in our lives. You would give us the courage to fight this. Give us, the, give us your eyes to, to see what you see, to know the truth, and to act on that. We thank you that we don't fight alone, that our sins are forgiven, that you don't leave us in the shame. But Lord, you deliver us as as victors over death. We pray that for Holy Spirit for that power. We pray for, for you to just renew our minds. Allow us to take every thought captive and deliver it to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you.